serving. We are living it out together in this series. We're not just talking about it and studying it, but we're actually participating. And this week, just a lot of fun. I mean, Thursday, our Young at Heart group, the seniors, went across the street, the park, food, meal together, people serving one another, an awesome time Thursday. Friday, our high school group was at Lake Taps, and we have a few people here at the church who have boats, and we're serving the kids. Boats are representing today, and uh, you know, everyone's had a blast. And then Saturday, uh, what happened here was amazing. Hundreds of families in our community coming here, new friendships, and then ultimately anything that was left went to uh, help in partnership, ministry in Africa, assistance with AIDS. And so locally, globally, together, there's just no limits what God can do when we say yes to the Holy Spirit on the other side of yes, and we do that together. That's the important part. And that's so biblical. Today, we're going to start the book of Titus, and you can find it in your Bibles. There's three books, actually five, that, that are together. They all start with T, and they're alphabetical, which is kind of handy. So it goes, uh, you know, um, we got uh, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, uh, just like that. I was like, I got to get my uh, H's and my I's, and, uh, but you keep going past Thessalonians, past Timothy, you get to Titus, and it's one of the pastoral letters. Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. They are being mentored by Paul. They're the understudies of Paul, and they're being raised up in ministry. This is from Paul's heart to Titus, and this is the mindset I want us to have as we start this book. I want us to listen afresh to God about right now. Not 10 years ago, not even two years ago. Not two years forward from now, not 10 years forward from now, but just today. And not all of the distractions of the pandemic, not all the excuses of the pandemic, but just to come before God and say, here I am today. Listening afresh today. God, what do you have for me today. And as we gather before the Lord, I think it's also important to pray. This is a big week in terms of educators. We have so many educators at Grace. We're so grateful for the educators here. Also, think of all the parents, grandparents, kids, students. We want to pray for everyone returning to school this week. For some people, it's even been like a year and a half. And so let's be prayerfully supporting uh, this week and everyone involved. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for new starts as we uh, begin the school year. God, we thank you for every student at Grace. God, every parent at Grace. Everyone who's encouraging students, praying for students. God, grandparents, we thank you for all the educators, teachers. Lord, this could be a challenging week. This could be a challenging year. But we thank you that you go before us. God, you are our strength. You are our song. You are our shield. We rely on you. And God, we're looking to you together and praying that it would be a year of growth. God, a year of protection and health. God, a year of seeking you. And Father, uh, building relationships, we pray a greater love, your love in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we go through the Bible, there's going to be a golden thread and a theme you're going to notice. And ultimately, it should really bring comfort and bring confidence. As you read through the Bible, the fact is God is here. God is good and God has a plan. You can rest in that. Comfort in that, confidence in God because of that, that God is here, God is good, and God has a plan. And Paul knows this. Paul's going to share this with Titus, who's going to receive it and live that out with comfort and confidence in God. We are going to open up a very specific letter here. It's Paul writing to Titus, and it's really a window of how God works in our lives. 
This is a letter that's very personal, a deep friendship, a friendship centered on Jesus. And I wonder how many friendships you have that are really centered on Jesus. I didn't experience that till later in life. I had friendships that were based on going to the same school or in the same classes, having some similar passions in life, same sports. But to have a friendship that's centered on growing in Jesus, knowing Jesus, that's special. It's a very personal letter, but it's also a regional letter. It was widely spread, and it covered a lot of ground. It's also an eternal letter, because the Word of God, all 66 books, are for eternity. They will never fade. We are going to have these books forever. So out of a one-on-one relationship, sometimes God will do things that you never anticipate, far beyond what you can imagine. And as Paul writes this, God is writing through Paul, and and Titus is going to receive it. They've had a friendship that's estimated to be about 15 years, and the context here is about 64 AD. People say it's coming from Rome, from Paul's heart, where he's in between his first and second imprisonment. And he's really setting up Titus for success. Maybe you've had some people in life who've set you up for success, and maybe right now you're working hard to set some other people up for success. As we listen to God today, what role has God given you? What role has God given us? We're going to highlight four different elements as we're looking to discover what God has for us in this season right now. We begin in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. And to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Here's the first thing to look for as we go through this chapter. It's a stretching assignment that fits your gifts. God will often reveal a stretching assignment that fits your gifts. Titus is a Greek believer, and Paul says, my true son in the faith. Paul probably led Titus to Jesus and still mentors him. We see discipleship, we see evangelism, and ultimately we're seeing Jew and Gentile come together. That is significant, very countercultural, very radical. Jews and Gentiles in the church learning how to exist as one body, people from different nations and ethnicities, learning friendship, learning equality, learning to love each other. And that was happening in the church then. Paul brings in a balance here. He says, God gives appointed seasons. There are times in your life, these different seasons, where God goes before you and sets things in place for a specific season. And then, Paul also mentions eternity. We have a secure eternity. And when you have a secure eternity, you can rest in that and you can risk in that. And the two are connected because when you know your eternity is secure, you can say yes to the appointed season, even if it's stretching and if it's difficult, because you know the end of the story. And again, your comfort and confidence are in God. So Titus, you can go all out in Crete, trusting the Lord the same way Paul's living as well. And Titus had a unique skill set and personality. You know, you're different than everyone else with your experiences and your passion. And Titus was asked by Paul to go to different places. We see that Titus is the one who goes to Corinth 
And if you study the Bible and you know what's happening in Corinth, it's a wild scene. Like when, who wants to volunteer to go help the church in Corinth? It's like, hands down, nobody move. Nobody wants to go over there. And Titus goes in there. Titus also, uh, we read, goes to Dalmatia, which is current-day Yugoslavia. Titus is going to go to Crete, another difficult assignment. This is what we really can read into Titus' character. Titus is not afraid of a challenge. Titus is calm. Titus knows how to bring solutions. Titus, he's a troubleshooter. He knows how to step into situations, sort them out for the Lord. Maybe you have some of those gifts. Maybe you have some of that calmness. Maybe you have some of that patience, able to come alongside of people, bring healing, bring structure. Uh, that's a gift from the Lord, and Titus was sent to these specific places. Let's think about Crete, because that's the context here for this letter. And we take a look at this map. And Crete, which is circled there, is an island off Greece. So one of the islands off Greece, actually the biggest island off Greece, and you can see the location there. Now, what do we know about Crete? Well, in verse 12, Paul says, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now, it's one thing if someone else says that, but when you own it yourself, it's like, hey, tell me about Auburn. You know, what, what, what is there in Auburn? You know, what is there in Crete? Uh, fortunately, Auburn's different than Crete. But, uh, but here's what's in Crete. We've got liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Doesn't sound like a brochure for tourism. You know, come to the island and enjoy. Beautiful scenery, too. Uh, but that was the reality of the condition there at Crete. And uh, another reality, as I was reading about Crete, there were five very independent ethnic groups in Crete. In Crete, you had the full range from sailors, pirates, and then Jewish people who were very straight-laced and trying to go by the book. And all of these differences in Crete, many different cities, many different churches, many different ethnicities, and you can see the lack of morality. And it's like, Titus, hey, could you just go in there and kind of make things better for the Lord. And that was the assignment that he was going to step into. And I point that out because sometimes we think God is only in the easy, smooth, and the convenient. God, what do you want me to sign up for? I'll sign up for anything that is easy, smooth, or convenient. I make myself fully available for that category today. Uh, and please keep it in that category. But challenges in life are often like an elevator. And when you step into challenges, you can go down into a place of despair and discouragement. God never leads us into that place of despair and discouragement. God builds us up. And actually, the greatest challenges in life can be like an elevator that takes you to the next level, where we grow the most, learn the most, rely on the Lord the most, and ultimately, he is seen through us. We're all fragile. We're all needing the Lord at every turn. But we can step into challenges knowing that God is here, God is good, and God has a plan. Listening to the Lord. Glimpses. You know, I read in Acts 27, as Paul was in prison, and there was a shipwreck. And again, life looked out of control, but it wasn't out of control. Sometimes life feels out of control, but God's still in control. And Paul, he experienced Crete, that island, in Acts 27. And I just wonder, in these different hearing about Crete, being there on the island, I just wonder what God was doing in Paul's heart in those little glimpses 
and experiences related to Crete. Sometimes God will give you a little glimpse of a place or a need or a person. And it doesn't have to be like a whole year. Sometimes you read one article, you watch one story, you hear from someone else, their heart, and God moves in your heart, and you just know it because the, the power, the message of the Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a flame, and, and God brings that. I want to share a story about Ernie and Cheryl, and I love adoption stories. They're, they're close to my heart. They're stories of healing. And Cheryl was watching ABC News. This was a while back, and the situation in Romania with all the orphans. And the orphans were being warehoused, and any orphan with special needs was just um, overlooked and just considered, you know, not worthy to be taken care of. And she saw that, and her heart broke, and she talked to Ernie. Well, they had two children at the time, and Ernie would say, we were just following the script. We had two kids. Our life was great. Why would we need to consider Romania, the other side of the world? I mean, we're happy with our two kids. But then uh, Cheryl described the situation there, and Ernie's heart started to change. And then a trip to Romania and seeing the kids. And there was one kid that they started just to meet and ask questions about. He was a boy and he had muscular dystrophy. And the nurse who was taking care of him said, you don't want this one. He's no good. You don't want this one. He's no good. And Ernie said, bring him home. Bring him home. He couldn't talk until he was eight years old. And I want to share a picture here. His name's Michael, and that's Ernie and Michael. And when Michael went to high school, the high school basketball coach said, I want Michael on my team because I've seen how he does life. And there's two things he can teach my team. Number one, how to give maximum effort because I can see how much work it takes Michael just to get to school. And the second thing he can teach my team is a heart for other people because Michael has it. And Michael it takes a lot of work for him to say any words, but he would say the words, I love you too. And he would say that to people before they said, I love you. I know in our culture, you wait till someone says, I love you. And then you say, I love you too. But Michael's not someone who waits. He just says, I love you too. So he was on that basketball team, teaching everyone on the team some new stuff. Maximum effort and a heart for others. And he uses sign language because it's so much work to speak. And in sign language, um, that means, I love you. Uh, you can just kind of put your, your hand up like that. Go ahead and just express yourself a little bit. You just say, I love you, like that. And then when you want to say, I love you too, you point that finger at the other person, like that. So senior night, basketball. I mean, this is Michael's last year. Now we've got a whole stadium full of high school students that when Michael's introduced, everyone's doing that. And then you do that. I love you too. And I don't think there's probably a dry eye in the house. But what Michael taught not just the basketball team, but the high school, is that we put in maximum effort and we have a heart for others. And you go back to the origin of that story and what was said over Michael's life don't take this one he's no good and there's a lot of people today believing yeah don't take this one they're no good but God has a different plan God had a plan for Michael's life to transform a high school 
and beyond. God had a plan for Ernie and Cheryl's life, living out their faith as Christians, to say yes to where God called them to take a risk and a stretch that wasn't comfortable but challenging. And God leads us faithfully. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his voice and say yes, say I love you, and say I love you too a lot more to one another. God gives us stretching assignments that fit our gifts. We also see here that God gives us people to train and empower. Take a look at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and also appoint elders in every town just as I directed you. There are going to be some people to train and people to empower. I left you in Crete. You know what the word is that's kind of a joke around church sometimes? voluntold because you can be told to do something we don't do that you can volunteer to do something really that's what we're all about but sometimes it's like with someone with passion will just come alongside of you and say join me here we're doing this let's go and and you're kind of like I, I think I volunteered I, I was kind of voluntold I'm not sure exactly I think there was some of that gray ambiguity here with Paul and with Crete and Titus and there's going to be someone who sees the potential in you before you're ready to say yes. Someone who sees uh, and wants to empower you. Because this is the truth. Where there's ability, there's responsibility. God gives us so many abilities. And sometimes we just kind of want to sit down on those abilities. But when there's abilities, there's also responsibilities. Paul knows Titus is dependable. I don't know how many people Paul had to choose from but he chose someone who's dependable. And what a gift if you have people in your life who are dependable. Isn't that good when you know something needs to get done and you know someone who's dependable and that's Titus. There's going to be on-the-job training. That's always the best kind of training in development to spread your wings and say yes. God will make it clear your name is on it. And ultimately here there's an invitation for collaboration. How does God work? An invitation for collaboration is how God builds his kingdom. Paul is inviting Titus to collaborate. Titus is going to invite these elders and leaders to collaborate. They're going to invite others to collaborate. Invitation and collaboration. Let me ask you, who are you empowering? Who are you training? Who are you passing along what you've learned, what you've experienced? Pass it along to other people. Don't let it get stuck with you. And all of this context is relationship first. Uh, because Paul trusts Titus, he entrusts him to Crete. Uh, Crete to Titus because he trusts him. When you trust someone, you will entrust. When God trusts someone, he entrusts. Trust and entrusting, they go together. We see it here in this passage. And that's how God works in his kingdom. It flows out of a healthy relationship. Paul has a healthy relationship with Titus. Titus is going to build healthy relationships with leaders who would then build healthy relationships with other people in the church and in the community. Healthy relationships are how God moves. The word here was straighten out. Straighten out the churches in Crete. In other words, get things in order. That's what that phrase means. This is foundational. God has a plan. God has an order. God sets up foundational principles. Listen, when you think about so many different contexts, just think about creation overall. God has an order. 
Jesus is the one who is our creator. We are created. And then uh, we are given a servant leadership role. First, Jesus, our Savior, serves us. And then we're given a servant leadership role to steward. You think about the land. You think about animals, plants, our talents. We steward that. God has an order in creation. God has an order in the family. God has roles. Men and women are equal. But God also has unique roles. There's some leadership pieces in the scripture for the man in the marriage. Uh, between parents and kids, God has an order. Grandkids, God has an order. That you build up the next generation. You disciple servant leadership. God has an order in the church. God sets up elders in the church to lead to be the servant leaders in the church. There is an order. God is saying, hey, this is how it's going to work in, in Crete. If everyone does what they want to do, it's going to be chaos. But if you listen to me and follow my plan and follow my order, there's going to be health. There's going to be a foundation. That's going to include elders. There's two words here for elders. Um, presbyteros, we think of Presbyterian, and episkopos, we think of episcopal. Uh, and we think of elders, overseers, even bishops is another word here that's synonymous, and it means watch over and lead God's flock. I want to go back to the book of Acts because it's so important to study the beginning of the church because what you see then and true for the church, the same principles are true for today. You say, well, how do you have a healthy church? What's really the foundational piece? Christ is the cornerstone, and then bring on that. Acts 14, and starting in verse 21, this is what they did. They preached the good news in that city. They won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas then appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. How did the church grow? You lead people to Jesus. You raise up leaders, elders who are honoring the Lord in every church. You pray and fast asking God who serves as elders. The elders lead the people well. And the people are all eyes on Jesus, trusting Jesus, growing together. That is the pattern. That is the DNA. That is the playbook. Seahawks right now are studying the playbook, right? Because the season's starting. I'll tell you, the fall season spiritually is starting. Study the playbook. Get ready. God wants to empower us with his plan. And it creates this culture, this healthy culture of serving Jesus. You hear it in this letter. You hear it in Paul's heart. It's this culture where it's an honor to serve Jesus. Our commitment is to serve Jesus. Our joy is to serve Jesus, to abide with him together. It's caught as well as taught. And ultimately, I hope that you're praying today for uh, Hurricane Ida and the southern part of our country because there's a major threat to a lot of people who have been through a lot. And when you see what's building up, even today, Hurricane Ida, we need to pray for protection. Because that hurricane's coming, and we all know what kind of damage that hurricane can do. But I want to use that same metaphor to describe the body of Christ. And instead of coming through doing a lot of damage, coming through with restoration and healing and hope in the gospel, coming through cities and regions in our nation, almost the inverse of what a hurricane Ida would bring. The body of Christ would rise up and bring this love and this light of Jesus like a hurricane to restore families and bring hope. 
And that's what's happening at Crete. That's what's happening in the early church. That's what we need today. And how does that happen? We, we pass on what we know. We train people and empower other people. We don't just try to do it ourselves. That's the healthy church. That's where the church is exponential. Multiplication comes alive. And we see it right here. Nothing's changed. But let's continue to look at God's plan. And there's a third element as we discover our role for today. Look at verse 6. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, this is probably a good reminder to pray for the elders at our church. We're grateful for the elders. We're grateful for a humble united group that's serving sacrificially. And it reminds all of us, character is more important than your position. When you describe an elder in the Bible, the emphasis is on the character of the person not just the position they hold. And it would be easy when you're reading through a passage like this to say, well, I'm not going to be an elder. I'm not an elder. Probably never be an elder. Let's just move past this to something that applies to me. But I'll tell you, in the role of elders described and leading by example and how they live and in their character, it's really for all of us together to have the same character. And the tragedies happen in the body of Christ when someone's competency is far above their character. So they have crafted and their skills and their abilities are up here, but actually characters down here. And the accolades are up here, but the characters here. And the admirations here, but the characters here. Because when you have that kind of a gap, it's going to lead to a crash. And you're going to see a leader fall, and then you're going to see it hurt a church, and you're going to see it hurt the kingdom. And ultimately, people walk away from God when they see the behavior of a leader that crashes. And so all of this is to protect the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, in God's reputation. Character is the emphasis. And in a culture where what you do is overemphasized more than your character, it is easy to think, wow, i got to focus on what I do far more than who I am. But in the Bible, it's flipped. Who you are is so far beyond what you do or the position that you hold. Who you are. How does that happen? We abide with Jesus. Listen, your position might be true in one realm, but who you are, that's what you bring wherever you go. Wherever you go, you bring who you are to every situation, every part of the day. And as we think through this, uh, this is going to be so important for Titus to be someone who's authentic, who's genuine. Who has character that honors Jesus. Well, where did this come from? This comes from Paul. He's going to be the same. Titus is the same. If you put him in Yugoslavia, if you put him in Crete, if you put him in Corinth, who's he going to be? Someone who loves people, someone who's kind and patient, someone who can bring out the best, raise up the church, develop leaders. That's who Titus is. 
What about Paul? Wherever you drop Paul, anywhere in the world, he's going to be someone who abides with Jesus, leads people to Jesus, and strengthens people in their faith. He gives sacrificially. He serves. This isn't about being in one little building or one little city. This is just who they are. And where do they get this from? This is Jesus. Wherever you put Jesus, wherever he goes, what's going to happen? Preaching, teaching, healing. He's going to be abiding with the Father. Abiding is the key to the Christian life. When we talked about abide and respond at our church, that phrase that's at the heart, the heart of the scripture was John 15, abide with Jesus. That's what our church is all about, abide and respond in the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't do the Christian life alone. We can't bear fruit without Jesus. The realization that our character needs help is the realization that we need to abide more and abide with Jesus, you will bear much fruit, and the power of the Holy Spirit will do things in your life that you can't do alone, that I can't do alone. So what's the description here? The word is blameless. What does that mean? Not perfection. It means no glaring flaws. No glaring flaws. And there's a consistency, public and private. Don't we all want that consistency? Don't we want to be the same person we are that everyone sees in person or on social media that we're the exact same person when no one's looking or when only a couple people who really know us see us and discover who we are. Don't we want to be the same person? I mean, I know the roles are a little different, public and private, but the same character and the same person, that's blameless. How does this happen again? It happens through prayer. It happens through time in the Word. It happens through accountability. It's hard to get there without accountability. And it happens with truth. And there's a passion here to know God, to make him known, and to grow. Cultivate the growth. Is growth painful? There is a part where it's painful. To give up old habits, to give up stubbornness, to give up idols, to give up sin, to give up my way. That's painful. There's a painful part of growth. But to cultivate, to be held accountable, to celebrate growth. And I think Paul's writing this celebrating that Titus, look what's happened the last 15 years in Titus's life. He is someone who came to know Jesus, a Gentile. Now he's leading people. He's leading churches. He's raising up elders. Look at how he's growing. Yes. It's good to celebrate. When you pour your life and you help someone grow and you see them grow and take off, yes, this is a yes moment for Paul, for Titus, for the church. And when you, when you want to summarize this role of elders, because I said these two pastoral letters to Timothy and to Titus, and you see the same description for elders, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you know, who is an elder? And, and I want to summarize, because there's a lot of details there, I want to summarize. An elder is someone who primarily and first has a healthy life at home, a healthy marriage, and parenting. Parenting stretches all of us, of course, but it starts there. That's the priority God puts for an elder. Before anything else at church, the priority is, how's the marriage and how are you doing with parenting? That's where it starts for an elder. And there's so many elders in the body of Christ who marriage, parenting, the kids, how are the kids doing? Eh, but they're serving a lot of church. That's just not biblical. That's not biblical. It's the marriage and home first. And then we start to move into the church. And before we move into the church, you know what the next thing is? It's emotional health. Well, how do you see emotional health? 
you see someone who doesn't have a temper, not overbearing. They don't have to keep saying, yeah, I overreacted. Yeah, I was too strong. Yeah, I know, I was a little arrogant. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. They don't have that. They're humble, emotional, calm. And then what else? A few knots. They're not drunk. They're not violent. They, they're not dishonest. Okay, there's integrity. What's the yes? Hospitality. When you get around an elder, you just feel welcomed. You feel loved. It could be in their home, the church. You see them in the grocery store. You just feel loved. And again, this is what we're all aspiring to live like. You just that hospitality and also self-control. Self-control is listed five times in two chapters. Self-control. Do you think it's a big deal to have self-control if you're living in Crete? Come on. You don't think there's temptations everywhere in Crete? It's like, hey, why don't you do ministry in Las Vegas right there on the main row? You think self-control might be helpful? Might be relevant? You know, self-control. I, I, there's this bag this week of this dessert, snacks, cinnamon and sugar. Anyone else like that combination? And I was just sitting there looking at the bag, about to grab the bag and sit down. And I'll tell you, this thought came through my mind. If I grab this bag and open it up and sit down on this table, this bag will be gone. I guarantee you that. And so it's just a little check. This is small thing. Cinnamon sugar, not a sin. Enjoy it. Uh, I'm not overblowing this, but I'm telling you a self-control moment for me this week was, it was just this moment with this cinnamon sugar, uh, this dessert snacks, and, and I got the whole bag right there, and I could just down it, but it was like, I had that check, and it's like, I'm going to take a handful of these, not the whole bag, and I'm actually going to take them upstairs. Because when I finish them, the bag won't right there be opened, and I'll just carry on, to carry on today, because I don't want to dive in and down the whole bag. I just knew that about myself. Listen, the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And the Holy Spirit throughout the day is just guiding us, self-control. Nope, I'm not in that. Set a limit, that distance there, whatever it takes. Okay, great. And that's the fruit of trusting in the Holy Spirit. And all these things, I want to say, a church will not be healthier than the people, than the people. Sometimes we want churches to be perfect and blameless. But the church is the people. And so the church isn't healthier than the people. So how do we have a healthy church? We abide with Jesus together. We abide with Jesus, build each other up. And then it leads to this last thing, a specific church to strengthen. God will guide you so often to strengthen a specific church. It says in verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What were the specifics here? The, the setting was Crete, and the specifics were hold on to God's word, encourage other people, and even refute what is off base. In other words, teach truth and love well. Uh, what would you say if you wrote yours out and if it's not Grace Community Church, if you're just visiting, you have a different home church, wonderful. There are so many great churches. But my encouragement would be find a specific church and strengthen it. Because that's, again, the pattern you see in the Bible. Someone who's following Jesus, find a home church, strengthen the home church. What's interesting during the pandemic is so many people are kind of going away from the church. And I understand for some people, physically, in terms of safety, they need to be away. That makes sense to me. But overall, people are pulling back and pulling back from serving, pulling back from the church, or pulling back, and the body of Christ is moving away from the church right now. And instead, in the Bible, it's to move towards the church and the people and to serve and to connect. 
And so we've got to remember, don't give the pandemic too much power and let it just pull you away from everything and everybody, but move towards the church and build up the church, just like what is happening right here. And can you imagine across the sound if followers of Jesus would choose a specific church and strengthen it? Do you know what kind of revival we would have in the sound? If followers of Jesus would say, I'm going to choose one church and I'm going to listen to God and I'm going to strengthen it in one way and move towards the church, we would see a vibrant church in the middle of a pandemic where people look around and go, what is going on there? It kind of felt like that a little bit yesterday, to be honest. Grace loves Auburn. It's like, what is going on with the popcorn and the friendships and the fun and the love and like, what's going on? I'll tell you, that doesn't have to be once a year, Grace loves Auburn. That can just be every day, wherever we're going, live, work, learn, or play. That kind of lifestyle, that kind of investment, everyone is important in the body of Christ don't come in today thinking, oh, they're important, and I know they're important, and elders are important, but I'm not that important. Just read 1 Corinthians 12. Everyone essential in the body of Christ. And you might be wrestling, as we get to the end here, you might be wrestling with some excuses. Because we all wrestle with excuses. And during the pandemic, the excuse list grows. But, uh, you know, what are the excuses that we really have in terms of listening to God and saying yes well, Jeremiah was wrestling with two excuses that I think we can all relate to. And I want to read from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me and saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I want to say that's true of your life. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart. He appointed you. And here, Jeremiah's unique role, a prophet to the nations. Wow, what a role. Okay, how does Jeremiah respond in verse 6? Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. And here's the two excuses. I do not know how and I do not have. And those are the excuses that we all are tempted to embrace. I do not have and I don't know how. God, I don't know how to speak. Uh, this is new to me. This role, I don't know how to do it well yet. Uh, and also, I don't have. I'm only a child. I don't have the experience other people have. I don't have the age other people have. So I don't have this, God, and I don't know how to do this, God. And when God calls you, just listen for <laughs> those lies. I don't have this, and I don't know how to do this. And then how does God respond to Jeremiah's excuses uh, God says, do not be afraid. You must go to everyone I send to you. You're going to say whatever I command you. I am with you. I'm going to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. What was God's answer? When Jeremiah says, I don't know how, God says, I know how. And Jeremiah says, I don't have. And God says, I have. God says, I have, I know how, I am with you, I am faithful, trust me, Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a tough course, but he trusted the Lord. I'll conclude by saying the voice of Jesus moves us past excuses and into our true potential. During the pandemic, other changes? Yes. During the pandemic, other challenges? Yes. But here's my concern. There's a ceiling in our lives, and so often, we set that ceiling. 
And what I've seen in the body of Christ, if the ceiling started out here, it feels like that ceiling of what God can do in our lives is dropping. And, and what do you do when the ceiling keeps dropping? You say, oh, we've got a room, by the way, at my parents' house that's about this tall. And it's full of stuff. And you try to like walk through there and lift that stuff out of there. A low ceiling is no fun. But what can happen is that we say, well, low ceiling, this is all we got. What can we do? I don't know. Just make sure you don't hurt your back in the low ceiling. Uh, and then we're just doing this. And, and I feel like I just want to obliterate these false ceilings. I just want to obliterate these low false ceilings. Well, Titus, I mean, how's he going to oversee five churches? He's only known the Lord 15 years. Oh, the Cretans? I mean, evil brutes. They're liars. How could God do anything in Crete? I mean, Paul's not going to be there now. Titus is going to have to step up. Like, can you just feel that ceiling getting lower? Is your walk with Christ look like this these days? And you're just like, ah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Low ceiling, but I'm getting used to it. Uh, it's like, come on, folks. Like, let's just blow away that low ceiling. Like, we worship a God who doesn't operate with this really low ceiling like we're pretending the ceiling's fine. Like, he blows it away. And what he's going to do in Titus's life, all Titus just needs to say yes to God, rely on the Holy Spirit, and go along for the ride. Because that island of Crete is not going to be the same. When you're faithful to God, many people are going to grow in their faith. And as, as I close, um, as we worship now, uh, sometimes there'll be a prayer that kind of wells up in me as I'm preparing a message. And uh, I just want to share it, you know, today. Um, three C's, because I think it's a prayer that's easy to remember. And here are the three C's that I've been praying for you. Uh, the first C is clarity, that you would really know clearly what is God leading you to do? Good shepherd, that's Jesus. The sheep listen to his voice. Clarity is the first one. The second one is courage because God calls us to things that are very challenging. It's not just the easy and the convenient. So clarity and courage. And the last one is compassion because you're gonna do ministry with people and for people and serve people and reach people and if you don't have compassion in your heart for people, that ministry is going to be shallow. That, that ministry is going to be it's kind of lightweight. It's going to feel empty sometimes. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would give us great clarity. God, that you would give us courage to break out of some low ceilings. And God, you would give us compassion. You love people. God so much Jesus you died for people we even think of those uh, 13 service people for our country who have died serving loving people God we pray today in the call in our lives that there would be clarity that there would be courage and there would be compassion through your Holy Spirit we pray for revival in Jesus name Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.